With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, everyone, it's Championship Sunday coming up. We're recording this on a Tuesday, of course. Not quite Sunday. Still got freaking five or, you know, however many more days until football is back. Only three more NFL games. I know. I'm sad, too. But hopefully we will be having three very good ones with, I, I think, in most people's opinions, the four best teams in the NFL remaining. So I'm happy the way these playoffs have played out. Plenty of analysis to go over, though. We have We are far from done. Believe me, once the games are done, we're still going to be barking about fantasy football and real life football all damn off season long. So have a regular on this podcast at this point joining me to break down the Buccaneers and Packers and the Chiefs and Bills. That is Mr. Andrew Erickson, PFF's own. You have heard him on this podcast all season long and he is back for another one. Andrew, happy championship, conference championship. What's the right word for this week, man? Whatever it is, happy this week. Well, what we can call it is week six rematches because both (laughs) matchups are rematches of week six contests that we had earlier this season, which I thought was kind of unusual to to think that both matchups actually happened in the same week. Now we get them again, second time, Bills, Chiefs, Packers, Bucks. I'm wearing my, my goat hat. I got my Tom Brady jersey in the back, so... You know who I'm backing this week. I had that same realization as I was writing my uh, mismatch manifesto today and thought I had like messed something up for a second, but nope, both these teams did in fact play uh, each other in week six before. So before you just write off what's going to happen this week, because we already saw these matchups, remember the Saints beat down the Buccaneers 38 to three and another big game by multiple scores in week one. So, you know, beating the team three times and even two times a season is hard. We need to treat these matchups. You know, we'll look back at week six, obviously and reference that, but these are obviously new teams at this time of year. So without further ado, we will dive in these matchups. As always, Andrew and I will pretty much just go through everything we can with these spots. It is only Tuesday, so keep in mind, our opinions are subject to change potentially, but got a lot of good stuff on the way. So thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Let's get it rolling. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay opened as three and a half point favorites. That is down to minus three at some books. Game total sitting between 51 and 50.5, depending on who you're betting with. So, Andrew, you got your Brady jersey in the background. You got your goat hat on. Look, TV 12, back-to-back playoff wins. I think it's been a little bit overstated, though. I mean, let's be honest. Three touchdown drives against the Saints that covered a total of 62 yards. He's completing fewer than 55% of his passes. They're in the playoffs, averaging fewer than eight yards per attempt. A win is a win is a win. I get it. But do you think we see Brady get back to putting up big-time numbers, or is this shaping up as another game that he might need to, you know, get heavy support from the run game and the defense? I'll give my slight lean towards the run game in this spot. Brady's been consistent in terms of fantasy production, at least 22 fantasy points in six of his last seven games. And again, betting against the GOAT, NFC. I mean, he's never played in the NFC Championship game, so who knows what could happen. But I don't feel great about betting against Tom Brady, especially in the playoffs. We get to look at the other side of the field with Aaron Rodgers. This is the best quarterback he's faced in the playoffs. It's not Taylor Heineke. It's not Drew Brees playing in his last NFL game. They're going to have to score some points in this matchup. And you look at the Green Bay Packers defense, the weakness is clearly in their run defense and not their pass defense because that's really their strength. Because over the, like basically recently, the Packers defense has been really good in their secondary, ranked second in touchdown percentage allowed, eighth in yards per attempt, fifth in passer rating, and second in PFF coverage grade since week 13. Only one quarterback has thrown for 300 yards against them, and that was Deshaun Watson. So... I don't expect this to be a ceiling game for Brady, but considering his price on DFS as the lowest price quarterback, he's going to get you probably 22 fantasy points. And what we saw last week where that would have been one of the highest scoring quarterbacks, then he's in play because he is cheap and he will at least give you a consistent 20 fantasy points if that's what you're looking for. 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, only four teams left. We can pretty much talk ourselves into any player as, you know, a relevant tournament option in the uh, DFS streets. But I do agree that, you know, we could see more of a run-centric approach here. And it makes sense. I mean, look, we're not going to sit here and be the old-time football heads that say, you know, they need to establish the run first and foremost to get this victory. But it's not like Brady has carried this offense all year long. I had an article go up on PFF.com. Or actually today on Tuesday, you can uh, check it out whenever you're listening to this podcast. But I basically ranked every version of Tom Brady from 2001-2020 using a compilation of five different stats where I just took his average ranks among his peers. So obviously his 2020 stats are higher than 2003. But you know how how much better was he in 2020 compared to his peers uh, compared to he was in 2003. The answer... TB12 in 2020 is, in my opinion, the 12th best version of him. So certainly a step up from the you know guy we saw in New England in 2019, arguably even 2018. But this is not the same world beater as just taking over game after game after game. The only kind of issue, and I mentioned it in the question, has been that completion rate. I mean, but to be fair, he's thrown downfield more often, so we would expect that to you know kind of lower that rate. But yeah, Andrew, he's not facing you know end of noodle arm Drew Brees career. Now we got Aaron Rodgers. So Antonio Brown is going to be healthy, but yeah, Jair Alexander and this pass rush, I feel like it's going to come down to, can they stop Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, and his Packers pass rush? Only ranked 26th in pressure rate this year, so not the same monsters they were last year, but let's face it, TB12 never has exactly been known for his mobility. They need to keep Brady upright to have any hope, I think, of putting up big numbers in this passing game. I would agree. And the thing that the Packers have as a scapegoat, basically how to get away from their run defense, is the fact that they score so many freaking points in the first half of games. Saw in the broadcast on the last game they played, basically they scored more points in the second quarter than any NFL team in the history of the league. And that's what they've done for the first half. Number one scoring offense in the first half and number two scoring defense in points allowed. So their their strategy is... Get up big on these teams. Let Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, let that pass rush kind of just encapsulate the opposing offense. And that's how they're going to, you know, that's how they won games. That's the script that they followed. And Tampa Bay has done a very good job of scoring in the first half. Number two offense in terms of scoring in the first half. But they ranked 24th in points allowed in the first half. So this is really fitting into a script where Green Bay is going to get up early. And that's what we saw in week six. Green Bay was up 10 nothing, And it looked like the Packers were potentially going to blow out the Bucks, but a pick six later and it was the Buccaneers that ended up blowing out the Packers. Yeah, that was why it's good to bring that up because 10 nothing pick six next drive Rogers does another pick that gets brought back to the three yard line and then Rogers misfires a wide open Mercedes Lewis that could have been a long touchdown so hey you know 38 to 10 we don't need to nitpick that victory too much but certainly had some weird stuff going on but yeah talking about this Packers run defense literally we had the Cowboys as the single worst defense in yards before contact allowed per rush Packers are right there at number two the Rams they just put Kim Akers in Wildcat they didn't have to disguise it and they were running all over them but to your point they couldn't get that game script but this is a the definition of a cake matchup for Leonard Fournette, a.k.a. playoff Lenny, who's gone for 100 total yards and a score in back-to-back weeks. You know, even going back to Jacksonville days, uh, he scored four touchdowns in three playoff games. I love the nickname, but, you know, of course, this has to happen with Ronald Jones dealing with a quad injury. So, Andrew, look, Leonard Fournette, I think he's only 5,300 on DraftKings. Like, he's going to be getting 20 touches, I think, regardless of if Rojo is active. He's just playing through so much pain right now. We know it's a kick matchup. You know, we don't need to dive too deep into this. I want to look forward a little bit, though, because Fournette, he's an unrestricted free agent in 2021. Do you see the Bucks bringing him back, regardless of how the rest of the season plays out, or do you think he'll be somewhere else? I do think that it depends on how the season plays out. I hate to take that type of route here, but if they win a Super Bowl... I think that he'd be content with going to wherever he could potentially have a starting role or get more money. Again, he's a running back. He understands that the position is not highly valued. So there may not be a market for him at all. So in that case, it would be best for him to stay with Tampa Bay and play with Ronald Jones and potentially Keyshawn Vaughn in a three-man committee, but to play with Tom Brady for one more season because that's what it's shaping up to look like. Tom Brady's going to be there for one more year. Gronk's going to come back for one more year. I think Chris Godwin is going to get the franchise tag, so he'll be back for one more year because he's going to want to play with Tom Brady, especially if he doesn't step it up because he's struggled over the last couple of weeks with the drops. So if he doesn't have a big game or if he's a reason they don't win, example, for against the Green Bay Packers, I think that Godwin come back. So I think it is a situation where if they lose in the NFC Championship game, I think they will try to uh, to run it back to get Brady that Super Bowl victory for the for the Buccaneers. 
Yeah, I think it'll also depend what Fournette's going to be looking for money-wise. Because, hey, you know, when Le'Veon Bell got that $52 million deal from the Jets, you know, maybe he was going into free agency with one thing in his mind. But you get that much money, of course, you're going to sign that contract. I was looking at some of the current running back contract uh, landscape. First of all, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to spend the whole podcast making fun of the Cowboys, but Ezekiel Elliott, $90 million. It's just insane every time I think about it. But more applicable contracts that Fournette could be fetching. Todd Gurley signed a one-year deal worth $5.5 million with the Falcons. Melvin Gordon, a two-year deal worth $16 million uh, with the Broncos. Like, some of these veteran running backs on their second contract, I know Fournette's not old by any means, but these second contract running backs, I don't think they're necessarily fetching more than 5 to $8 million per year. I know Lenny can catch. He's not really the type of, you know, catching back that I think Brady would prefer to uh, play with. Obviously, you're not putting him in the slot or out wide. He's been solid, but yeah, I'm not convinced these efforts are really out of the ordinary for any running back that you could put in this offense and get 20-plus touches. So, I don't want to say he doesn't matter. He's been playing well, and I do think running backs matter. It's a salary cap that makes him not matter, but I don't think money will potentially be a super big issue, and to your point, that could make, if they win the Super Bowl, the ultimate, uh, you know, just clarifier with it quickly with the uh, the fantasy landscape let's say he does come back let's say they don't add anyone else and it's Fournette Jones and uh Keyshawn tentatively who do you rank highest of that group and where you think that would be in the kind of you know RB 2030 landscape I guess I'd probably just have to lean towards Fournette because my confidence level with Ronald Jones at the moment is the pass game work is not there for and sure not there we, yeah. we saw we saw it trending in upward direction at the end of last season where he was pretty efficient as a pass catcher and that was an improvement over his rookie season but it's totally regressed and come back to what it was as a as a rookie and that doesn't give me any type of help hope that he's going to be able to improve upon it and he's been fine as an early down back but i overall wasn't as impressed as i thought i was going to be with ronald jones he wasn't a bust in any way shape or form because he was relatively late pick I think that both guys are probably going to be able to provide value because neither of them is going to be, you know, the clear-cut number one guy. But if it's an offense that scores a lot of points, again, you just need this guy to fall in the end zone. If, if Ronald Jones can get multiple t- 10 touchdowns, then he's going to pay off. And if Fournette catches 50 balls out of the backfield, then, yeah, you're going to get your return on your investment for wherever you draft these guys. And I guess Vaughn is, is interesting because he theoretically has the most upside of the bunch because he should be able to do both of those things. But if he's buried on the depth chart, it's going to be hard to tell when he's going to break out. Yeah, I could see them having pretty similar ADPs. We'll see with Vaughn. You know, he'd probably need a good offseason to bump up there. But either way, probably guys that zero RB drafters are going to be looking at versus you know someone truly in the top three, four rounds or anything like that. All right, looking at this passing game, back to this matchup. So the Packers, they haven't asked Jair Alexander to move from his left cornerback slot for more than a few snaps per game, really since week eight. Now, I would understand if they have this continue. Now the Buccaneers have Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, and Antonio Brown. Obviously, you know, all sorts of weapons all over the field. He did shadow Mike Evans back in week six, only allowed one catch for 10 yards. Out of this group, Evans, Goblin, A.B., and the word on A.B. is that the knee injury they got an MRI on is not serious. We're tentatively expecting him to play. Andrew, assuming A.B. is fine, Evans, Goblin, A.B., who racks up the most fantasy points this week and why? I'm just going to go back to Goblin. He's been the guy that I've talked to about the last two weeks. And of course, he's been terrible with the drops and he's coming off a pretty terrible game. So I'm going to go back to him, though, because he's priced in that mid range between Mike Evans and Antonio Brown as he's kind of been priced. But in terms of his usage, he has been the most targeted receiver for the Buccaneers. He's led the team in air yards over the last four weeks. Again, that's also factoring Mike Evans got banged up. But regardless, Antonio Brown also got banged up. But Godwin's the one that hasn't got banged up. So he has made the most of his time on the field. He just hasn't put it all together. And you mentioned Jair Alexander absolutely locking down the left side of the field. Looked at Jared Goff's passing tree. And basically there are no completions to the or his right side of the field where Jair Alexander lines up. Three of six for 46 yards. 12 of 13 for 72 yards on the other side. So... Alexander's not even being targeted, and he's just impacting the game so significantly that teams are not even throwing to his side. And that just gives me such a, a Darrell Revis vibe where just locks down his side, his island, and it's not even he's playing man-to-man. He's just, hey, there, no one's no one's ever open on his side of the field, so we're just going to throw it to the other side of the field. So I know Chris Godwin's not going to see any coverage from Alexander because he's operating out of the slot. We saw the same thing last week with Robert Woods. Again, Robert Woods, the targets were there, just the yardage wasn't there. So I'll go back to Chris Godwin. The matchup's good. Fourth most targets to slot receiver since week 12 for Green Bay. 28th in explosive passing plays allowed to the slot. Chris Godwin cannot potentially drop any more passes. I know it's going to be cold, and 
the split thing on his finger for some reason it doesn't look comfortable it, it really doesn't look like he is the same guy after he hurt his finger but i'm gonna roll with him no i'm with you i think it's goblin look we can say he caught that touchdown last week. Des Bryant <laughs> said he caught it. I kind of side with Des on pretty much anything he wants to talk about. So I'm with you with uh, Godwin. Yeah, with AB being banged up, you know, we're kind of seeing some more Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, who had a hell of a catch on mm. that uh, on that uh, quick curl last week. They, they could be you no know, limit uh, AB's reps if he is truly banged up. And yeah, the issue with Evans, man, like I'm not so much worried about Jair Alexander. I mean, Evans has seven inches and thirty plus pounds on Alexander. He should be able to overpower him. I think he can overpower pretty much anybody. But to your point. Point. Jair has been one of these cornerbacks that quarterbacks just do not test and they do not throw at him. And we've seen Brady do that all year. Andrew, from 2014 to 2019, Mike Evans had five total games with fewer than five targets. In 2020 alone, he has six. Like, Brady has not been willing to just force feed him. It's the same thing with DK Metcalf. Like, I don't know how you can have a wide receiver this good, this big, this matchup proof, and not give him at least, you know, five targets downfield per game, let alone just in the course of the entire formation or, or just entire game as it is. So, you know, it's rough, but unfortunately, yeah, I don't see Evans really getting that many targets because if Jair Alexander is going to be on him for a large portion of the game that is going to be an issue and obviously Evans is continuing to play through the pain himself so all these wide receivers are banged up they're all very talented but yes I'm with you Chris Goblin would be my best bet to put the most production in this one all right let's round things out with this Buccaneers passing game looking at Gronk maybe his best game of the season came against the Packers catching five of eight targets 78 yards and a score you know it's been rougher in the last few weeks though one catch 14 yards on six targets over the past two weeks I really like this uh uh, tweet from uh, Ted uh, Ted Nin, excuse me on the last name, uh, at FB underscore film analysis. Awesome follow on Twitter. But he, he said, uh, old Gronk can still always get a step on any defender, but it's always just a step. And I think that's very true. You never see him, you know, five yards between him and the defender. He gets open enough for Brady to throw him the ball, but certainly hasn't been easy. Andrew, do we see Gronk get back on track to some respect here? I'm going to lean towards no with Rob Gronkowski. And it's interesting because we're talking about how Brady's not forcing it to Mike Evans, but he's hell-bent on forcing it to Rob Gronkowski, despite the fact that the guy can't create any separation. He's running like the Kill Harry routes out there. But again, he deserves that because he's older, 31 years old, even though he's the same age as Travis Kelsey. It's, his career path has been totally different than Travis Kelsey's. But looking at Gronk's air yards, basically he has been the, the king of prayer yards the last couple of weeks. Uh, 54% of his air yards have only have been deemed catchable. So almost half of them are not catchable. So basically he's not getting open and that's a problem for Tom Brady. And it's a problem in this matchup. Again, you mentioned that Gronk had his best game against the Packers, but that is such an outlier performance because it's the best performance any tight end has had against the Green Bay Packers all season. And the Packers have been pretty good against tight ends in terms of fantasy points allowed. The only thing that I would say is if Antonio Brown, we hear, you know, if more reports come out where it's not good news about Antonio Brown, we finally saw Gronk actually run more routes for the first time in three weeks than came a rate last week. And really it was because of the second half when Antonio Brown was playing less. So the fact that Cameron Brait is so heavily involved, I had to keep telling my girlfriend, okay, who's that guy? Where's Gronk? Oh, that's Cameron Brait. He's running all the routes now for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tight ends. It's a 50-50 split. A Gronk always is going to be a guy who can catch a touchdown. Two of his targets last week were inside the 10-yard line. He still sees a ton of end zone targets because, again, Brady's going to target him there. But if you're chasing tight end touchdowns, just figure out a way to play Robert Tanyan. I, I think that's really the main kind of message here is if you're just looking for touchdown upside, then just figure out a way to play Robert Tanyan because he has the exact same touchdown upside as Gronk, but he can do way more he can, you know, provide much more value in other ways, and his touchdown upside is probably you can probably have a better chance of hitting on him than Gronkowski. First, girlfriend, congrats on the sex. Second, <laughs> looking at Gronk, I want to make a new premiere part of this podcast. This is my candle bet of the week. I think Rob Gronkowski scores a touchdown anytime score this week. If he does not, I will buy a new. <laughs> $40 candle and name it after Mr. Rob Gronkowski and burn it when, you know, something bad happens to me or something like that. Just coming up with this map now, so we'll figure out the intricacies of it later. But, you know, going through article, it'll be up on PFF uh, tomorrow, Mismatch Manifesto. I look at the combined pass yards for dropback from inline targets, backfield, slot wide, all around offense and defense, and the Tampa Bay inline tight end is popping as the best tight end matchup of the week. I hear you, Robert Tunyon. All the guy does is score touchdowns. But <laughs> I do think with Jair Alexander potentially locking up Mike Evans, you know, at least refraining Tom Brady from looking his way, we could see Gronk featured more than ever 
in the red zone. And I think even though he does, he's not the same player, we all realize that, still big enough to potentially make some noise, get a little bit of separation, just enough in the tight window to come away with the touchdown. So candle bet of the week, Rob Gronkowski finds his way into the end zone. All right, we've talked enough about this Tampa Bay offense. Let's move on to the Packers. Robert Tunyon and company, probably the only time anyone will ever say Packers, Tunyon and company, not Rodgers and company. So Aaron Rodgers, he's looked mortal exactly once this year. It was against this very defense. Andrew, we've, you know, we have two games to study, so we've looked uh, into pretty much every matchup in detail we can find. What were the issues for Rodgers in their first matchup, and do you think he turns it around this Sunday? It was all related to pressure. Again, they were able to pressure Rodgers at one of the highest rates of the season, 44%, and a lot of it came from the blitz. They just started blitzing him like crazy. Uh, Todd Bowles was like, hey, man, we're just going to blitz the crap out of Rodgers, and it worked. It, it rattled him, and, and the game is so bizarre because, again, we mentioned they were up 10-0. It looked like they were cruising. Aaron, Aaron Jones scored a touchdown. It's like, okay, here we go again. They're going to blow out the Bucks coming off the bye week. Devontae Adams is back. You know, we're all good. But then the pick six, another interception, and it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. But it's worth mentioning, and people on Twitter have mentioned it before to me as well. I mean, I've posted the Carlton Davis versus Devontae Adams, you know, lockdown splits. It was Devontae Adams' first game back from his injury, so maybe he wasn't 100%. Again, we've seen some of these receivers struggle when they first come back from injuries, not be the same guys. Michael Thomas is a perfect example of that. It seems like he, he's never been healthy really all year. And then Alan Lazard also was not playing in that game. So again, you talk about, you know, MVS is not a guy where you need him to be a, he's a number two. No, he's a really a complimented receiver. He's a deep vertical threat. But if he's operating as a number two, it really makes it easy for a team just, okay, well, we got to take away Devontae Adams and MVS. Well, half the time we didn't have to cover this guy because he could just drop the pass. So it doesn't even, we don't even necessarily need to cover him at all. So that was really the big thing. But I think that the problem with it is, you know, David Bakhtiari's not there anymore. So you'd think that that'll hurt in terms of pressure for Aaron Rodgers. But Tampa Bay's pressure rate hasn't been as good as it has to start the year. Third best through the first 10 weeks at 40%. It's dropped to 14th overall, 32% since week 16. And shout out to my guy, backup left tackle, Billy Turner. So week 17, 43.4 PFF pass blocking grade. Extremely terrible. I was very concerned about it. But in the divisional round, I don't know what happened. I don't know if they coached him up. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers was like, hey, come on, sleep over. We're going to practice, you know, blocking. We're going to do all this great stuff. He earned PFF's highest pass blocking grade in the divisional round, 85.9. Billy Turner, shout out. Don't know anything about this guy except the fact that he's filling in for Dave Bakhtiari and he filled in admirably last week. So I'm not so I'm not nearly as concerned as I was heading into the Rams matchup, who also presents a very strong defense in pressure. And Aaron Rodgers was able to rip those rip those guys to shreds. So uh, yeah, I think that it's going to be wheels up for Rodgers in the passing game here. I think we all know he's not going to be David Bakhtiari, but he doesn't need to be. He just can't be a massive liability. And you brought up a good point about Tampa blitzing the hell out of Rodgers. Uh, our boss man, PFF George, had a really good stat. He uh, flirted out earlier this week on Twitter. So this season, Aaron Rodgers was blitzed 185 times. He took four sacks in those plays. Three came in that week six matchup against Tampa Bay. So it might have been a little bit of an outlier performance. I just wonder, man. I feel like the Packers almost just got a little too cocky in that game. They start off the season so hot. They had a bye week. They got Adams back. That was the game where Rodgers scores and he did his uh, McCringleberry, you know, triple pump celebration in the first quarter. Come on. Like, do your, uh, you know, discount double check and, like, move on. Like, we were seeing Rodgers reach all-time peak cockiness in this matchup. It caught up to him. I don't think they're going to make the same mistakes again. That was Again, it wasn't a fluke game the Buccaneers got their win but I would be shocked if we see that same uh, kind of version of the, of the Packers offense if they can just keep Rodgers clean I mean he's going to be fine he's been fine all freaking season league high 129.3 QB rating when he's kept clean 42 touchdown to four interception uh, ratio on that. You know, Tampa Bay, they were second and half a great this year. Again, they live on their front seven. Like we saw what Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill can do to the secondary. When you give them time, we'll see if he can get that time. That is priority number one for the Packers. Protect Aaron Rodgers at all costs. Let's look at this run game because it's going to be a little bit rough. Tampa Bay is one of these defenses that, hey, they're a good run defense, but part of the reason they're good is because they consistently load the box to stop the run. So you look at last week, Aaron Jones had 15 touches, Jamal Williams 12, A.J. Dillon. Man, what the hell? Like, we all know Aaron Jones is the best running back in Green Bay. I would hope Matt LaFleur knows that, but I don't know anymore, man. So if the Packers don't value Jones as the unquestioned three-down study he's been for the better part of his time in Green Bay, who will, Andrew? Because, again, tough game this week. 
I, I think they're going to split touches again. I don't think there's too much to talk about here in the backfield in terms of what they're able to do. So let's, again, look forward with this situation. Where would you most like to see Aaron Jones land in 2021 from a strictly fantasy perspective? Aaron Jones should be doing whatever the F he can to get to Seattle. We need to see this elite player get elite usage. And it just reminds me of Stephon Diggs. We all knew he was an elite talent. And then when he landed up in Buffalo, he got elite usage. And now you have Seattle. They've come out. They want to run the ball. They want to be efficient running the ball. Who is more efficient, Ian, than Aaron freaking Jones at nobody. running the ball? Nobody, nobody no, Nobody's more efficient. So Aaron Jones, dude, just go to Seattle, man. We want to see a 300 carry season. I just want one 300 carry season from Aaron Jones in my lifetime. That is my lifelong dream to just see it happen. And if his efficiency goes down, okay, well then, we all know his small sample size, whatever. He only averages 4.5 yards carry instead of 5.4 yards per carry. Look, I just want to see it happen. We can't, if, if Russell Wilson is never going to cook ever again, at least let Aaron Jones cook, okay? Come on. We got to get one more thing to tap. We need happiness somehow. I don't know how I missed that one. Carson and Hyde are unrestricted free agents. We got, oh my gosh, potentially Adam Gase going to Seattle. You know, we'll see what happens there. We're giving reports with that. That is a, that's a great call. The five teams, the five, six teams that popped to mind for me, you know, looking at a light backfield situation and a good offense were Buffalo, Miami, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, which is kind of funny, Atlanta, maybe Arizona. I think Seattle probably tops that list. I was leaning towards the Steelers. I don't think it's that realistic because, uh, you know, they just don't spend too big in free agency. I think they have bigger issues in trying to figure out uh, who they want to have a running back. But I just think that they could really maybe tap into all facets of Jones's ability because, yeah, let's get him 300 carries. Let's get him 100 targets too, man. This guy is so good as a true receiver when they want to use him. We had that Chiefs game last year where he said, I think it was like the next-gen stats uh, database record for most yards gained in the slot or out wide. I went back with the PFF database, and since Jones entered the league in 2017, only Austin Eckler and Naeem Hines have averaged more yards per route run when lined up in the slot or out wide. It's just been frustrating that they don't use Jones more, particularly now in a playoff setting where you have nothing to lose. So, you know, Packers fans, you know, probably mad hearing about this. Hey, if Jones goes back, then I'm sure he'll be a great real-life running back again, but we want volume in fantasy football. Jones has not gotten enough of it. I do agree. Seattle or Pittsburgh because you know we did have a nice history of a feature back I lean towards those two being the top spots in terms of what he could provide in 2021 all right back in this matchup probably the best wide receiver cornerback matchup of the week Devontae Adams versus Carlton Davis sign me up Adams said himself after last week that nobody is capable of stopping him we got Carlton Davis just straight up calling out Michael Thomas uh, slant boy on Twitter get, can we get Carlton Davis verified like how hard is it like hey, he's shutting down everybody get that man a blue check mark either way Andrew, do you think Davis can at least slow down Adams, perhaps keep him out of the end zone, or is volume going to win out for Adams in a game that now he's not coming off an injury in? It's Devontae Adams. I I don't think that Carlton Davis is going to be able to stop him. Look, Carlton Davis had a really good game against Michael Thomas, who just basically got surgery on his shoulder and his ankle, clearly wasn't playing 100%, was attached to a noodle arm quarterback. Give credit to Carlton Davis. He still blew the coverage on that trick play from Jameis Winston. Technically, he was in coverage of Traquan Smith on that play, so he gave up the touchdown. Look, Carlton Davis has been up and down all year, like most cornerbacks are. Pretty inconsistent play. He's the most targeted Bucks cornerback inside the 20-yard line. Who gets all the targets inside the 20-yard line for the Packers? His name is Mr. Devontae Adams. Davis also ranks outside the top 50 in PFF tackling grade. Sean Murphy Bunting also ranks really poorly in that category. One plays on the outside, one plays in the slot. Devontae Adams plays in both of those areas. And as you alluded to last week, Ian, what is one of the Packers' strengths? Yards after the catch. Good luck, Tampa Bay. Secondary. <laughs> That's the thing, man. Like I saw so many social accounts, probably PFS, but it was everyone out there. After Devontae scored that first <laughs> touchdown, they are like, Devontae won, Jalen Ramsey zero. After Devontae runs all over the formation, gets like three picks to gain a, you know one yard and score. Like It is so hard to stop this dude the way they scheme him sometimes. He has caught six passes in every game this season that he has not been hurt in. And just the way they're using him and the mind melt connection he's got with Rodgers, I'm with you. Bet on Adams. You know All the receiving props. I am happy to take the over with fun stats.
stat from PFF's own David Safaro. Most targets this year with only one drop, including the postseason. Our guy Allen Robinson in first with 157. Devontae Adams in second with 156. Guy catches everything thrown his way. Credit to Carlton Davis for, you know, having kind of the size and speed to match up with these bigger-bodied uh, wide receivers and, you know, some of the best route runners in the league as well. But just think Devontae Adams is too good, too tough of a matchup for a single corner to slow down. Also, I mean, look, like Ramsey and Adams, like we told you last week, this isn't a matchup we're going to see for 100% of, you know, the action. Devontae Adams this year, 27% of his snaps have come inside. Carlton Davis hasn't played more than six snaps in a game in the slot. So fully expecting Devontae Adams to have his way both with Carlton and with whoever else happens to match up with him. All right, let's round this out with a look at some of these complimentary pass game options with the Packers. Marquez Ball scaling, Alan Lazard, Equinemius St. Brown, Robert Tunyon, Andrew, which complimentary Packers receiver do you think has the biggest impact come Sunday? Ian, because I love pain, I'm going to go with uh, my guy, MVS. Yeah. Marquez Valdez-Scantling commanded eight total targets on Sunday, marked his highest target total since back in week four. It's important to note because two of his targets were in the end zone. Neither were deemed catchable. That's an outlier from Aaron Rodgers. Usually he is spot on targeting the end zone. His PFF grade, 93.2, and quarterback rating, 100.8 on throws to the end zone. Nobody, No quarterback has ranks higher in either of those categories. 29% air yard shared last four weeks, just slightly behind Devontae Adams. And he had the second most air yards last week, 122. Look, I'm chasing the end zone targets. I'm chasing the air yards when it comes to MVS. He's attached to Aaron Rodgers. Again, they're going to try to sell out to try to stop Devontae Adams in any way, shape, or form, and that's what the Rams did last week, and we saw Alan Lazard have the big game. I'm going to bet on it going to MVS in this case. MVS has traditionally been the one that's been the more vertical receiver. And Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay's secondary, the one thing that they are probably worse at is giving up deep plays. They are graded number 32, graded pass defense on 20-plus yard throws down the field, 25.4 grade. Packers, number one in PFF passing grade on those types of passes, 20-plus yards downfield. It's actually shocking of how bad all of the corners and safeties for the Bucks grade on anything that's thrown over 20 yards. It's, it's actually it's like comical to see 29 and 30 and 29, 28. Carlton Davis, speaking of the devil— third most yards allowed on deep balls this season so again i think mvs can catch one deep and that's the thing that's why tampa was able to have so much success last week except for that one play against Jameis winston where he threw it deep because hey drew Brees can't throw deep what can aaron Rodgers do oh yeah he can throw deep so yeah i i like some of these deep threats in this in the spot and it comes back to Tampa's just desire to stop the run at all costs. When they've had eight defenders in the box, nobody's faced a higher pass play rate because teams know that they can throw the ball when Tampa is so insistent on trying to stop this run. So I'm with you. MVS league high, 20.9 yards per reception. I know the drops are brutal, you know, but hey, when we're playing, you know, in DFS tournament, first or last, baby, just like Ricky Bobby said. So I think with that in mind, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, go with MBS. He is their field stretcher. I know Lazard, you know, had the dagger long touchdown last week. They're even talking about that in the broadcast. So like he was that wide open because he spent the entire game blocking and going underneath. So when he finally did run by them, it was wide open for him. So don't sleep on Robert Tun Robert Tunyon as well. We mentioned him earlier. Always a good chance to find the end zone. But yes, MBS for you uh, DFS diehards out there. I do like him to potentially pop off this week. That takes us to our pick. Andrew, we got the Packers sitting at three and a half right now. Who do you like with the spread or with the game total? I'm going to go with the over 51 is the, the total that I had seen from when I took it. So I'm going to go with over 51. I think that the Packers build a lead real quick. I think that Brady and company have to fire back. And I think that we see some points. I think that the unders hit, I think, in almost all the games last week, which was lame. So let's uh, let's get some over action going. Yeah, I'm feeling good about both these quarterbacks' uh, chances to move the ball regardless of who ends up taking the lead. I do think the Packers at three and a half will take this one. They are my pick here. Cool stat from a friend of the podcast, uh, Rich Rebar, at Lord Reeves on Twitter. In that first meeting, the Packers had 76 penalty yards. That was their second most in the game this season. The Buccaneers had zero, which was one of just three times all year this was the case. Don't see that happening in, Grand Bay, in Green Bay. I think the Green Bay offense is just better. In the year 2021, great offense beats great defense. Give me the Packers minus three and a half. A uh, quick shout out to our sponsor before we get on to the AFC. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free 
PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a forty dollar value for just twenty dollars, ladies and gentlemen. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that twenty dollars into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games on one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA. And Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your twenty dollars with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Gotta love that. On the AFC, do you see the first? Do you see the uh, Gronk locker room clip where Devin White has the uh, cell phone? They're like partying in a locker room, and Gronk's got his shirt off, and he goes, "We're going to AFC Championship, baby!" And they had to like stop and correct him. That's some uh, that's some New England. You should be loving that, man. You're Patriots. You're how? All right, quickly. How is this as a Patriots fan? Like, are you happy for Brady and Gronk, or are you like that? You guys should be in New England still. I think that I'm happy for for Brady. Because he's proving Bill Belichick wrong in terms of Belichick thought he was washed. And I'm just looking at your your article right now, looking at Tom Brady in 2019. It was his wor- it looks like it was his worst year ever. So for Tom- for Bill Belichick to see that and think, oh well, you know he's turning 43. I'm sure that he'll get better. I don't think Bill Belichick. I think Bill Belichick made an educated decision based on what he saw in 2019. Brady wasn't really that good, and he's like, all right, well we're gonna move on. Usually we don't see quarterbacks peak at age 43. So he took an educated decision. It it didn't work out, obviously. Brady's playing much better than anyone had really thought, especially Bill Belichick. So, I mean, I'm rooting for Tom Brady. Again, I'm not rooting for the Buccaneers in particular. I I, I want Brady to succeed. But for me, Gronk, I don't know, man. He's just... He's just another animal. I don't know. I don't really know how to cheer for him. He's like, like you just said. He's he thinks he's in the AFC Championship game. I think I was when I was watching him on TV last weekend when he was playing the game. He was just like staring off in the sideline, just like in space, like he usually does. Anytime they catch him on the sideline, he's just staring like blankly into the into the abyss of of the game. And we're just like, what is he thinking about right now? He's just like, oh man, like Tostina pizza rolls when I get home. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I've never laughed hard. I had uh, that one clip resurfaced of uh, Gronk. I think it was like in 2019 when he was retired. He's on like the Fox show with the guys and he's talking about how they tried to trade him to Detroit and they called him and he was like, well, you can't trade me out because I'm, I'm retired. Like, how could you be doing that? And he let off that absolutely absurd laugh. <laughs> Gotta love that. You had plenty of good years in New England. No need to be hating on him. I'm happy you are not. Always favor players instead of these billionaire owners and teams, everybody. All right, enough nonsense there. Let's go on to the AFC. Bills at Chiefs. KC opened up as two-and-a-half-point favorites, up to minus three across most books. Game totals really on the move. So opened up at 50, up to 53-and-a-half. So first things first, elephant in the room with Patrick Mahomes. So per ESPN's Adam Schefter, Mahomes is expected to practice Wednesday. And specifically from Schefter, he said Chiefs QB Patrick Mahomes cleared certain steps Monday, some big steps, but he remains in the NFL's concussion protocol with what is considered a concussion. And it's too early to say that he will definitively, oh, he will definitely will play in Sunday's conference championship versus the Bills per sources. I think it sounds like he's going to play, Andrew. It reminds me of the Lamar COVID situation when Schefter said before the game that he might not play his usual allotment of snaps. I've had, I had to retire from a Division Three football because I got concussions. They are a very serious issue. So is COVID. So with an issue like this, with a concussion, with COVID, you can't just come out and be like, yeah, he's fine. You know, no issues at all. These can be long-lasting issues, and maybe Mahomes will have a setback. It does certainly sound like he is on track to play. You're expecting Mahomes to be out there, yeah? I would be extremely surprised to see him not play, and I think that they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure he plays. And again, I don't know all the exact rules and how they do protocols and things like that, but it's Patrick Mahomes, and they're going to make sure he plays, and they're going to do whatever they can to make sure he plays. Again, if this was another player, honestly, I don't know if we would be saying the same thing, but look, it's a quarterback-driven league. He is the most marketable player in the NFL. He's the face of the NFL, and he is sure going to be on the field on Sunday for the AFC Championship game. It was interesting. Some of the, you know, doctors on Twitter were talking about where it wasn't even like a helmet contact hit that caused. It was more of like a neck issue with the whiplash. Football, man, violent game. We do love it. Hopefully, you know, Patrick's (laughs) fine and everything. But just wanted to get that out of the way because we are going to assume Mahomes is going to be out there. If Chad Henne ends up being the quarterback, you know, we'll have articles and stuff about that. But for the purposes of this conversation, we will be assuming Patrick Mahomes is under center. But the season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users 
futures are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend, there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odd, odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We're going to start off with the Bills side of the ball. Andrew Josh Allen, QB1 season, is alive and well. Last week, though, first time Allen's looked mortal since probably November. Ravens did a great job constantly giving Allen different looks, both pre- and post-snap. They were able to escape with the victory, obviously. We just didn't see the same juggernaut Bills offense we've kind of grown used to. Do you see Allen getting back to balling this week, or can the Chiefs continue to slow him down? I think we're going to see him back to Josh Ballin. I really don't – I'm not concerned about him at all. Last week, I think that the weather played a huge role – he missed digs on the deep throw. Gabriel Davis dropped the touchdown. There were so many points left on the board where his his fantasy day or his just overall production could have been so much better. Again, Lamar Jackson was also struggling on his side of the ball trying to throw it. So I think that Josh Allen's in a great spot. Again, Casey is a predominantly man coverage defense, seventh most snaps for man this season, second most versus press coverage. And Josh Allen, again, like we've talked about on this podcast seemingly every single week, is Josh Allen just eats up man coverage. 19 touchdowns, one pick. 116.8 passer rating, which ranks third best in the NFL. And specifically, the Chiefs actually run a lot of press coverage, a lot of press coverage looks. Josh Allen, 24 touchdowns, fifth, third in passing yards against press coverage. And that's what Diggs, Diggs just, just absolutely destroys any type of man press coverage. First in receptions, first in receiving yards, second in yards per route run, 35 plays at 15 yards or more. I don't know how you can stop Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs at this point. Again, he has six catches in the most. He's more games of six or more catches than any other player in NFL history. He's just so consistent, and he's truly unlocked Josh Allen to a point of where he is a you know MVP candidate. He's not going to win this year because of Aaron Rodgers, but he's going to be one of the front runners and one of the highly touted players that people are going to you know. This is what your MVP bet. You should be on Josh Allen. I think that we're going to hear that conversation all throughout the offseason. And in speaking to the matchup last time again. It was weather. There was a lot of weather in that game. It was raining. He had a season-low 122 passing yards. He had only completed 52% of his passes, which was the lowest of the season. So I I just think that we're going to see a bounce back from Josh Allen here again. Baker Mayfield would have had a much better productive outing if Rashad Higgins hadn't fumbled the ball through the end zone. We would have seen Mayfield flirt with 20 fantasy points. And Allen, you know, he had to perform last week, like I mentioned. He had a lot of open receivers, just didn't hit him because of the wind. He was overthrowing guys. So I expect Allen to get it done here. And look, you can't ignore a 73% pass play rate where they don't ever use running backs. He's going to have opportunities to throw the ball because they don't run the ball ever. So I like his chances in this matchup. Yeah, looking back at week six, I agree with you that it's not as bad as some of those initial numbers indicate. He actually had three, his average time uh, from snap to release was 3.2 seconds. That was his highest single game mark of the season. So like you actually see Josh Allen, I believe he has like the 12th highest pressure rate. That's because he holds the ball literally longer than everyone. You see him when he has a clean pocket, the dude literally stops moving. Like he'll come to a complete standstill and if pressure comes, well, he's usually athletic enough to run outside the pocket and with his freaking, you know, bazooka for a right arm, he can pretty much throw the ball anywhere he wants from any angle so the one thing I noticed from that game that could make a difference so week six against the Chiefs that was one of just three times this season Allen had fewer than 50% of, of his pass attempts go to receivers that PFF considered open or wide open now that was with John Brown he missed the next week he was playing but he was at far less than 100% it looked like and to your point receivers running all over the place open uh, last week against the Ravens so in that game Bill's offense only had the ball for 22 minutes I do think you know forced to put actually put their pet you know, to, uh, to the floor in this one. Yeah, Josh Allen, this passing game should certainly get back on track. All right, looking at this, these running games, we'll try to keep, again, I, I don't want to, like, bypass the run games too much here, man, but I just feel like they're, like, the easiest match. Quarterback, kinda... It's quarterback-driven league. Quarterback-driven league. got to talk about the quarterbacks. Exactly. I mean, cause, <laughs> come on, last week, Devin Singletary, 84% snaps. Like, 
featured. That is like top five in any given week. Seven carries and three targets. You know, just, hey, they don't like calling runs, and Josh Allen isn't fond of giving the ball to RB on read options or in the passing game. So fun to watch. I love it. But, hey, based on this, like let's, again, expand away from the game for a second and look bigger picture. Based on the QB coaching style and play volume, because we just see certain offenses not run the ball really anymore, which 2021 offenses do you think could feasibly support not one, not two, but three fantasy relevant wide receivers? I had a couple that came to mind. I'm just gonna, I'll list them out here and then I'll, I'll mention my favorites. So Dallas, Denver, Houston, Jacksonville, and Tampa. Again, so there are a lot of those teams that do like to run the ball. So the one that sticks out to me is probably Houston, just due to the fact that they have the worst defense ever. They don't have draft picks to approve their defense. They have some skilled wide receivers. So we could see Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller. It just depends, obviously, who the quarterback is, which is an issue. And then the same thing can kind of be said for Denver. There's a lot of talented guys there. I love Cortland Sutton coming back. I was so disappointed when he got hurt this year. Didn't get to see him ball up, but you got Judy, you got KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, a bunch of receivers that have a lot of talent. So I think Denver's an interesting an interesting spot, and Houston for sure, because Houston, again, they can't really run the ball either. Yeah. Apparently Drew Locke's job is not safe. I'm, <laughs> I'm bummed. I understand he's not a good quarterback, but he is an entertaining quarterback, and I will not hear otherwise. I like those picks. Yeah, Jaguars with uh, T-Law coming to town certainly make a lot of sense. Uh, some others I would add. Pittsburgh, if Ben's back and they're going to keep throwing the hell out of the ball, I mean, you know, three wide receivers with 100-plus targets, we just want to follow that volume for sure. The Bengals, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, A.J. Greens, an unrestricted free agent, so I'm not sure who the third would be, but again, I think there's enough volume there. Buccaneers again, Panthers had four players have over 1,000 total yards. Uh, we'll see if Curtis Samuel returns. And then finally, the Falcons. Don't be sleeping on Ridley, Julio, Matt, Ryan, and company. Maybe they even upgrade the slot receiver from Russell Gage. So back to this matchup. Let's get to the main guy, Stefan Diggs, 100 plus yards in five of his last six games. As you said, now owns the NFL record for most games in a season, including playoffs with at least six receptions. Andrew, last week, we decided he's the third best wide receiver in the NFL. Next question, how many wide receivers should be selected ahead of Stefan Diggs in 2021 fantasy drafts? It's probably just Devontae Adams for me. I think you got to take Stefan Diggs number two overall because... The only other receiver that we talked about was Tyree Kill that would go in that conversation, but there is a certain target squeeze between him and Travis Kelsey, which is the reason why it makes sense to go with a guy like Diggs over Hill because you can easily you know, tell yourself and convince yourself that Diggs is going to be the more consistent producer over Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill doesn't have that type of – he's not putting up those types of statistics where he catches six balls every single week. That's, that's not his thing. He – obviously can score 60 fantasy points in one game. That's absolutely insanity. And that's why he's going to still be, you know, a fringe first round, second round pick. But you need that consistency. You need those targets. And right now it's Adams that gets those. It's Travis Kelsey that gets them just slightly over Tyree Kill. And he also gives you that positional advantage at the tight end position. And then you have Stephon Diggs. Or, or then kind of, yeah, Stephon Diggs kind of comes in there third. So for me, I would probably, only Adams would probably be the one to rank higher. And then Diggs. Again, Michael Thomas is really interesting because obviously this year was just so bad for him and that will just naturally make him fall. That's not, it's not a good reason for necessarily avoiding him because it could be a totally better situation next year. But again, we don't know what the quarterback is going to be. Taysom Hill was actually, you know, targeted him more than Drew Brees did. So Michael Thomas may or may not probably end up being a buy low when it's all said and done. If he falls kind of like a Keenan Allen does, this, this past year, because we were concerned about the quarterback, I think Michael Thomas could potentially be a really great value. But right now, I don't think you're going to have to take him above any of these other guys. And now, you know, apparently going in for offseason injury, yeah, I don't know if Michael Thomas is going to be a top 10 ADP wide receiver, man. Like, we'll <laughs> see. But not having Breeze there, it's going to be an issue. I'm with you. I got Adams 1, Diggs 2. And I think I think the top five will be rounded out by Tyree Kill, Keenan Allen, and DeAndre Hopkins in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, we got the Falcons wide receivers, the Seahawks wide receivers, plenty of other talented guys, but I'm with you. Stephon Diggs, number two. He's truly putting together a Larry Fitzgerald-esque postseason run. If the Bills can find a way to get through this week and ultimately win the Super Bowl with Diggs putting up his usual 100 yards and a touchdown, I think we're going to be looking back on this postseason run by Stephon Diggs as one of the best at the wide receiver position has ever seen. All right. It's actually, actually one last thing. So it's interesting that you mentioned those receivers because there was a an FFPC draft that or their ADP is out for best ball drafts already and they have their these are their top five wide receivers Demonte Adams Tyreek Hill Diggs Michael Thomas DeAndre Hopkins and Justin Jefferson where's Keenan he's not on there what 
Yeah. Is he like eight? Like, where is he? He must be down there. It's only the top 20 that are listed. So I would assume they are the top 20 overall players. Oh, even then, man. Come on. This dude's freaking Stephon Diggs West. Justin <laughs> Herbert kind of plays like Josh Allen a little bit. I mean, he doesn't have the same athleticism. Probably not quite the same arms. Oh, man. All right, I thought Ke- I thought we got over this. Like Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs, we both we we overthought both these guys this year. I guess Keenan. All right, great. Buy Keenan Allen, people. More, That's the uh, more value for that. us. More Stephon Diggs, West for us. Let's go. My goodness, I love it. Okay, so rest of the Bills. Stephon Diggs, he's the leader. He's the alpha. We know that, but we still got a lot of other good wide receivers here. Cole Beasley, John Brown, Isaiah McKenzie. You mentioned Gabriel Davis dropped the touchdown. He's had better games throughout the year. Even Dawson Knox, who tends to make one, maybe two good plays a week. What's complimentary option here? Do you think has the best chance of being an X factor this weekend? Ian, I'm going to follow the process. Come on this show. Talk about the guy that goose egged the week before, (laughs) and then you play him in DFS. John Brown, goose egg last week, came through with a big game, played him everywhere. People were low on him. Not us, not these listeners, because they knew you follow the goose <laughs> eggs. The goose eggs lead to gold. So I'm going to go back to Gabriel Davis. Again, goose egg last week, but he still saw two end zone targets from Josh Allen. And his average depth of target was 18.8. That was leading the team last week. It signifies he sees high value downfield targets. Kansas City has faced the most wide receiver end zone targets and allowed the highest percentage of explosive pass plays among remaining playoff teams since week 16. They're going to have to throw it at some point. They throw it regardless. And Gabriel Davis is one of those rare receivers that, yes, he's not playing a full snap share because of the fact that he's behind Beasley, John Brown, and Stephon Diggs. But as you talked about last week, the Bills run 10 personnel at the second highest rate behind only the Arizona Cardinals. So there are opportunities for him to actually make plays downfield. And that's what he does. When he comes into the game, it's to either you know, run into the end zone and catch a touchdown or run, you know, 40 yards downfield and catch a bomb. Like, that's, like, what he is doing. He's not here to, you know, catch screens and do those things. You know, you know, do his best Juju Smith-Schuster impersonation. He's not here to do that. He's here to, you know, really make an impact. Again, he's 11% target share over the past four weeks. So, it's nothing. You're not going to see a 10-target game from Gabriel Davis unless another Buffalo Bills receiver gets hurt. But, again, fourth in total air yards over the last four weeks for a part-time player is is really impressive. So, 3.5K on DraftKings. If you need some salary relief, you got to jam him in. Gabriel Davis. Yeah, you mentioned before Chiefs play all that press coverage. That probably is what kind of convinces their opponents to throw the ball downfield so much. I mean, opponents have thrown the ball 20-plus yards downfield against the Chiefs at the single highest rate in the league. They haven't given up the most explosive plays, but teams have been willing to air the ball out. Also like Dawson Knox, only Jaguars have a lot more yards per attempt to inline targets this year. But, you know, you're risking one or two catches. I sighed because... Look, we were on Smokey Brown. Quick tangent before we get to the Chiefs. So I'm recording from New York right now because I had to make the nine-hour drive from Columbus to New York to go visit the girlfriend's parents uh, for the next two weeks. And because of that, I arrived in New York at about, it was like 4.15 or I forget, it was like 15 minutes before game time. I pull up the old DraftKings, you know, rough co- last couple of weeks. I had $6 in my DraftKings account. <laughs> and I was like, should I deposit more? And, you know, I, I felt good about the slate. Why not? I was like, nah, let's play the $6. I freaking win a $5 GPP for like 450 bucks and I turned the $6 into $500 and I have never felt worse about making hundreds of dollars in my life. Like, okay, this season was fine, but hadn't won a GPP until now, but with $6, like, come on, man. That could have been five, six times that. I could be freaking, I don't know, free now, not even recording this podcast, doing who knows what with all that money, but nope. I've just been losing sleep all throughout this week with my $6 freaking DFS bankroll. So John Brown last week, Gabriel Davis this week. I am so pumped to gamble more than $6 in daily fantasy. We spelled devastation IAN last uh, Saturday, Andrew. That was a rough one. Moving on to the Chiefs. Excuse my uh, personal vendetta. I just had to get that off my chest, everybody. But Patrick Mahomes, he's on, again, we talked about this, seemingly on track to clear concussion protocol. Going back to week six, only 26 pass attempts, second fewest in the game all season, mostly because the Bills regularly offered light boxes, pretty much dared the Chiefs to run. Andrew, do you think this holds up again, or is Mahomes going to air it out? We'll set the over-under at 40 pass attempts for Mahomes. What do you got? I thought really deeply about this question because it really started to make me think about are teams actually good against the run or good against the pass, or is it just a matter of, hey, we are going to sell out against the pass so that – 
it looks like we're bad against the run and vice versa. So I had a whole galaxy brain theory going on about trying to figure out if the Bills defense is actually bad against the run or they're just not trying to stop the run, which is why they're not good against it. So I just thought that was something interesting I wanted to share with the listeners here. But look, I don't think the Bills can really afford to be as lenient against the run. They need to stop it at some point. You look at the games that they've lost this year. They've given up over 200 rushing yards in both those games. One of those being against the Chiefs where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire rushed for over 161 yards. And look, yes, they contained Mahomes, congrats, but they lost the game still because they still couldn't, they got to stop the other offense at some point during the game. So I do think that they are going to be able to run the ball, the Chiefs, on the Bills to some extent. They looked pretty good doing it last week with Daryl Williams without even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire playing in that game. But I don't think they're going to get back to what they do best with Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball 40 pass times again. That's their identity. That's what's gotten them there so far. I do think it's interesting because maybe Mahomes is actually a little bit less mobile because I think the other injury that we're not talking about enough is potentially that toe injury that he sustained. Again, the concussion is obviously what could keep him from actually playing in the game, but I don't know if we're going to see, you know, Showtime Mahomes running around like we usually do in the playoffs where it's kind of like he kind of unleashes that rushing upside the Konami code in the playoffs where he kind of holds back during the regular season because he knows, okay, I'm not going to, you know, run around during the regular season and save myself for the playoffs. So that could obviously less rushing attempts for him means more, you know, dump offs to the running backs to Daryl Williams to Edward Slayer out of the backfield. So I do think that we're going to see more passing attempts from Holmes because I think that's ultimately, that's the Chiefs' identity. They're, they're going to throw the ball. They're going to get the ball to Kelsey, to Tyree Kill. They're not a, a running team, and I don't think that they're going to run it unless, hey, the, the Bills are like, just please run the ball against us. Just just do it. I think that the Chiefs are, are going to throw. Yeah, I do think uh, you brought up a good point. Like, are they actually a bad run defense, or are they just kind of smartly playing the pass? And I do think it is the latter. Only the Rams and Broncos face fewer runs with at least eight defenders in the box this year. Bills invite teams to run. And, you know, Mahomes actually took advantage of that himself with a season-high 10 rush attempts against the Bills. I have never seen a quarterback more able to convince defenders that he's about to go out of bounds before inevitably cutting it back up the field for a few extra yards. He had a ridiculous one against the Bills last time where he picked up like a third and four somehow. But, yeah, that's going to be huge if his mobility is going to be altered. A fun stat I found from uh, Steven Ruiz, awesome follow on Twitter. The Bills did not blitz once against the Chiefs. That was the only time that has happened since 2000. 16 and because of that you know Mahomes 6.5 yard average target depth just a third time all season he was under seven yards they ran the hell out of the ball but as you said Andrew they still lost by nine points and it was in Buffalo so yeah it's one of these situations where we expect them to change the game plan up a little bit and even then like the Chiefs aren't this team that are just going to completely you know be dependent on what the defense is doing they actually had the 12th highest pass play rate when defenses put fewer than eight defenders in the box so again not like they just refuse to pass if the numbers don't uh, you know kind of necessitate it and I you know while I don't disagree with the Bills strategy to try to take the ball out of Mahomes' hands didn't work would be uh, you know surprising to see them try to install that same game plan again. Looking at this backfield, though, because, hey, maybe they do, and maybe the Chiefs do try to take some pressure off Mahomes' foot by giving the rock to Darrell Williams, who is currently functioning as the Chiefs' lead back with Clyde Edwards-Alaire's sideline. Remains to be seen if CEH is going to be back from this ankle injury. If he's not, let's focus on DFS here. Anyway, we can avoid not locking in Darrell in the DFS lineups because I know, you know, Devin Singletary, similar thing where we got two quarterbacks not necessarily inclined to feed their running backs, but I feel like with that foot injury, we can almost, you know, project Darrell for 15-plus touches in this offense. We got to lock him in, right? I feel good about Daryl Williams. The PFF projections loved him last week, and I tried to sprinkle him in into some spots. He's going to be lower owned because the split with Le'Veon Bell, we weren't really sure how it was going to pan out. But I was seeing a lot of projections and seeing that people were a lot higher on Williams over Bell. And anytime I can fade a you know washed up running back in favor of a former LSU star in Daryl Williams, who used to back up Leonard Fournette and Darius Geis, he really never got his time to shine at LSU. And of course, now he's behind another LSU back in Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Just Daryl Williams can't catch a break. But Daryl Williams, again, yeah, 80% of the snaps, total 18 touches in the win last week. I mean, he's shown enough that he, that at least the offense trusts him. He's on the field in those critical situations. Bella just played 17% of the snaps and saw two carries and two targets. Again, you need to find some type of... Look, the running backs on this slate are really gross for the most part. Again, you have Aaron Jones and arguably the worst matchup for a running back. Again, he's at he's the highest priced running back. We talked about Fournette earlier. He's in a good spot, but you have to play two running backs. So your chance either you're going to play Fournette and Aaron Jones in the same game or you're going to play either the Chiefs running back or the Bills running back and as we saw last week with the Bills running back that's something that usually isn't going to work for the most part 
doesn't matter if Singletary gets 84% of the snaps like you had mentioned because they don't feature the running back at all. He has to break off a big run, and really, he's only done that once this year, and it was against the Denver Broncos. And I rewatched that play. I was like, hey, well, does Singletary have the juice to you know really run away with one? And, dude, he, he barely got away from some of those. I mean, it was at the end of the game, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know if he's going to have the juice to be able to do this against the, the Kansas City Chiefs. So, again, yeah, if you need to save at one of the running back spots, I think Daryl Williams is going to be the guy you go to as opposed to Devin Singletary. Yeah, Singletary far more shifty than that straight line speed. But yeah, first note I had for uh, Darrell Williams was former four-star LSU RB. I'm glad you brought that up. This isn't some random scrub that, you know, they found off the streets. Legit, talented RB. Andy Reid's a smart guy. He gave him 79% of the snap rate last week. He said, Le'Veon Bell, we don't need you. They want Darrell Williams. 15-plus touches in his Chiefs offense. Just 4,800 on DraftKings. You know, I understand if you want to go up to Fournette and Aaron Jones. But even then, man, like I think just in terms of raw touches, it's Leonard Fournette number one. Probably Darrell Williams number two if Clyde Edwards-Alaire is ultimately sidelined. All right. We all know Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, these guys are freaking incredible. Let's remove this game's matchup for a second. Andrew, we got a game of backyard football going on. We'll say eight on eight. Who would be drafted first in this game of backyard football between Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, if you were a captain? So assuming that Pablo Sanchez is off the board <laughs> in backyard football, I'm going to be going with Tyreek Hill. Because, look, anytime that I get together with a bunch of my buddies, we're going to you know play some tackle football or as I like to call two hand touch aggressive because we don't want to want to go to the hospital now that we're all in our our old age first play I call a quarterback I'm always you know going to my guy I'm like hey here's the play hitch and go you give him that dirty pump fake dude (laughs) they always bite on the first play touchdown Tyreek Hill I want that speed I'm not looking to move the chains in the backyard I'm looking to hit the big one I always go deep in the backyard so uh, I'm going with Tyreek Hill I got Tyreek too. Speed kills, and I think in this format, uh, could be a little bit more wide open and even more <laughs> accentuated. If we are going tackle, we got to give Kelsey some respect, but even then, I think Tyreek could play a little bit of corner, and he, he's just so freaking shifty, man. I was going through some of his like running back highlights today when they were really using more in the backfield with Alex Smith under center. Dude is, I think, just the most explosive player by far on this planet with a football in his hands. Yeah, man, I actually have not played backyard football in a couple years, because the last time I did, my best friend came up to press me. We are having fun. I hit him with a swim move at the line of scrimmage and I literally hit him with my elbow on his nose and he had a black eye for about a week so you know you try to explain that to your boss and uh, they, they kind of think you're making things up kind of like the classic you know I fell on some stairs uh, you know I just caught an elbow from my buddy in the street playing backyard football okay okay we'll see if that's true yes I'm with you Tyreek over Kelsey in that situation but credit to Travis Kelsey of course Number one in receiving yards since 2018, including playoffs. If you want to say, Ian, it's because he's had more games because of the playoffs. Number two behind only DeAndre Hopkins in the regular season. We're going to round things off here with a look at the number three receiver, seems like in Kansas City, that is Miko Hardman. More involved in offense with Sammy Watkins sideline last week. Let's assume the Lizard King takes his talents elsewhere in 2021. Andrew, could Miko Hardman finally break out in 2021? I'm excited. Maybe? Maybe? Well, let's see what happens with Demarcus Robinson. If we can get Uh, him out of Kansas City, he's an unrestricted free agent. I would feel much better about any type of a Cole Hardman prospects for next year if Demarcus Robinson wasn't there because I don't know why Andy Reid loves him because he just he's a blockade in the Cole Hardman potential breakup because we've seen this before with Sammy Watkins. It doesn't matter what Sammy Watkins is in or out of lineup. We have never really seen Hardman's role change too significantly, you know, the first week that Watkins was out this year, we you know played Hardman in DFS, and then he does nothing, and then he has a, a big week after that. Again, Hardman is just he's so explosive, but I, I don't know. Does he have the the props to really be a proper you know outside wide receiver? Could he really take over for a Tyree Kill and, and be the same guy that Tyree Kill is at his at his prime? So I just have a lot of question marks with Nicole Hardman. Again, Demarcus Robinson. Again, if he was gone, that'd be great. I don't know why he's still on the team. He ranks. 107th out of 112 in average yards per route run. Again, he his quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how that's possible, how he could be so bad with such a great quarterback, but it just kind of goes to show you that, yes, we want our receivers attached to great quarterbacks, but not even a great quarterback can overcome some of these just god-awful efficient or inefficient receivers which is demarcus robinson but i will admit take it easy take it easy on d rob they just like to use him the block no he's not <laughs> magnificent but i think it's a little bit more lack of usage than robinson necessarily being garbage i hear you but all right continue so hardman 
I will say, at least last week, I thought his usage was really interesting. He had an average depth of target minus 2.5 behind the line of scrimmage. So I think that kind of goes to show that, yes, they are kind of being more creative with him. But I still think that this offense just still goes through Kelsey and it goes through Tyreek Hill. And I guess I'm just not ready to write off either of those guys yet as, oh, well, no, this isn't going to be like Kelsey, you know, goes to tight end two as opposed to tight end one. I think until that happens, I think that McCole Hartman's still going to be an ancillary, you know, wide receiver three. We've seen so far that, you know, the wide receiver three for Mahomes really hasn't been a guy that we've really wanted to have in fantasy football. Yeah, that's a problem. And look, no one should be out there saying he can beat Tyreek Hill. We've really never seen a player like Tyreek Hill, so I'm, I'm with you there. Just because he's fast and he's in the same offense doesn't mean uh, he should you know, be compared directly to Tyreek Hill. I just feel like, though, I mean, look, Andy Reid has more football knowledge in his freaking pinky than both of us will have combined in our entire lives. Like, I fully understand that. You know, with Demarcus Robinson, like, how much better is it to have him blocking than it is to have me? Like, they, uh, the Chiefs, they had that, like, fourth and three, uh, first drive of the game last week, and they have Tyreek Hill in the backfield. They send Miko Hardman running across the formation, and then they give the ball to Tyreek going the exact opposite way. Like, there's just so much speed when both those guys are on the field. I don't know how you can't get them both on there. So we'll see. It will depend on, you know, if Robinson is back and if we can get that full-time rolling three wide receiver sets. But, man, good things happen when you throw the ball to Miko Hardman. Over the past two years, 120 players have at least 100 targets. Only Justin Jefferson and my guy A.J. Brown have averaged more yards per target. You thought I can get through an entire podcast without mentioning A.J. Brown? You were wrong. And even behind me, Cole, we got Will Fuller, Chris Godwin, Stephon Diggs, Mike Williams, Kenny Galladay, D.K. Metcalf, Julio Jones. Okay, maybe he is the outlier of that group. If we had to pick one, it would be him. But I truly do think, even though he's not Tyreek Hill, Miko Hardman could be a very good to great NFL wide receiver if given the opportunity. All right, Andrew, we didn't go through a ton of X's and O's in this matchup. Again, I just you know, I don't want to be too repetitive with what everyone's kind of already hearing throughout the week. I thought we went through some good scenarios otherwise. With that said, give me your pick in this one between Chiefs, two and a half, and we got the game total at 53. Uh, pick and what? My heart says Josh Allen, but my brain slash wallet slash cachet money says the <laughs> Chiefs. So I'm going to go with Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I guess it's interesting because the lines are still up. And the fact that we don't really have definitive evi- defi- definitive evidence of whether or not Patrick Mahomes is playing, I-, I mean, the books wouldn't have this line up, I guess, if they really thought that Patrick Mahomes wasn't going to play. So I think this is a good sign that he's going to play. I don't know if this line is based on the fact that if they're kind of factoring in the-, the fair chance that Chad Henney would play in this game. But if Henney was playing in this game, the Bills would be favored, right? Yeah, some sports books open it up like Bills plus two, plus two and a half, and like with all that uncertainty, I don't even know why. So, yeah, man, I'll take I'll take the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be at least a six point swing, if not more, man. I mean, hey, you know, Henny, he got that you know easy wide open pass to Tyreek Hill on the flat, and he had a scramble that you know was pretty cool. But you know, for every uh, Henny thing as possible tweet out there, I think we probably had at least one bad decision in that game. From Henny as well. So I'm with you. I got the Chiefs two and a half. I had Chiefs Saints in the Super Bowl preseason. You know, really went out on a limb there picking the chalk matchup, I know. But I still really think Mahomes versus anyone deserves more than three points. You know, going back, he was actually an underdog against the Ravens earlier in the year. I made, you know, just kind of a personal statement to myself that if I see Mahomes uh, as less than a three-point favorite, I'm going to be betting on him in pretty much any matchup. So again, I thought everything went so right for the Bills in that first matchup, and they lost by nine at home. So even if Josh Allen and company get you know some more firepower going on offense, just don't think it's going to be enough. Give me the Chiefs minus two and a half as well. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you as always for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Andrew, what you got on the docket this week? What can the people read from you on PFF.com? So coming out this week on PFF.com, courtesy of Andrew Erickson. Got a big write-up on Cam Akers. Basically talking about how much I love this guy going into next season and how he should be basically drafted at the top of the second round. And you'd be surprised about some of the other running backs I would take him over. I'll give you a sneak peek. I would probably rather have Cam Akers than Ezekiel Elliott. I'd rather have him than Austin Eckler. Rather, not Nick Chubb. Still like Nick Chubb too much. But Cam Akers, I think we should be really high on heading into next season. He has done everything that we could ask for from a rookie running back, you know, just short of Jonathan Taylor's season. And to see that this this Daryl Henderson stuff is being thrown out here, uh, that he's going to be worked in more, I just I just can't believe it. You know, the guy averaged 18, 18 opportunities per game, you know, the last basically since week 13. So 
Cam Akers, you want to be high on entering the 2021 season. Yeah, Henderson didn't get hurt till week six, week 17, people. Like, it was end of week 16. Like, it's not like this breakout happened purely with Henderson out. Good stuff. Make sure you check that out. And make sure you follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. That's going to do it, everybody. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back with another episode on Friday with the Action Networks and Fantasy Labs. Matthew Freeman going over 10 questions with him. Might have some more dynasty-related goodness in that one. So stay tuned. Thank you, as always, for listening. Until next time, take care, everybody. 